Episode 309, FFS providers getting locked out of referral flows right now as we speak. Today, I talk with Jeff Hogan. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. This episode is a tale of what happens when some employers decide to open up a few virtual front doors. And when these virtual front doors lead only to referrals to providers who are willing to be accountable and offer financial predictability. That's what these employers want, after all. They want accountability and financial predictability. Many employers now have access to all claims databases and other data like the RAND 3.0 report. Therefore, employers can and are using this information in a big way to steer their plan member populations. Given these goings-on, some slower-moving providers could easily find themselves on the outside looking in. So who are these providers who are or will be getting shut out of referral flows? They're definitely FFS-centric, but they could be a large health system, an urgent care center, or a hospital-owned PCP. Today, I speak with Jeff Hogan, the Northeast Regional Manager for Rogers Benefit Group and also president of Upside Health Advisors. We talk today not about what might be theoretically possible, but about what is happening right now. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Jeff Hogan, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you, Stacey. Let's talk today not about what employers, self-insured employers, theoretically may do with the market power they theoretically may have. Let's talk about what they are doing to impact referral flows and patient care pathways like right now. So you work with the state of Connecticut as a large employer. If we're talking about the state of Connecticut making some changes, we're talking about how many hundred thousand employees affected? Just over 200,000 actives and retired. So this is hundreds of thousands of people. And let's get into like what they're actually doing. Not theoretically they're going to, but like what they're actually doing right now. In the context of Connecticut being a place where many of the Buka payers have their, their roots and foundations being very traditionalist. The state, via the comptroller's office, basically went out to bid to providers across the state and put out an RFP asking for them to bid contractually on episodes of care for most everything, joint replacement and cancer and cardiometabolic and there is a basically a, a format that they have to go through to prove their ability from a cost and a quality point of view using a third-party vendor. At the same time, they went out and asked primary care physicians to be part of this. They continue to build out this option for state employees and retirees, whereby the employee or dependent would choose primary care physician who would steer to these predictable and accountable, high quality, quality measured, targeted price episodes of care. And this was a big deal. In the example of what's going on in Connecticut that you just articulated, which is a big deal, it seems like all the providers are local, i.e. already in the competitive landscape. But with tech these days, it's possible for a new, in air quotes, virtual front door type of entrant to move in. 
Are there any examples of that happening? One of the big projects that I've worked on the last six to eight months was to bring in a company out of Seattle, Vera Whole Health. I was really very, very impressed with their model. So they used a worksite model. But I was most impressed with their view of advanced primary care. Their view of the world was patient engagement. And think about it, going back to the end of March with people hiding in their houses who are getting access to transactional telemed. Hey, this is going wrong. All right, here's a prescription. But that never gets back to the doctor and we can't longitudinally coordinate care with that person's cardiologist to change their medications and things of this nature. I really like the Vera Whole Health model because they were able to do that. Not only could they do it in person, but they could do it virtually as well. Vera Health is a, an advanced primary care outfit, and they've got maybe a hybrid model. So they do have work site. They have on-site, on-premises. You can go see a doctor live and in person. And alternately, they also have a connected kind of telehealth aspect as well. Correct. They'll tell you that they can do 80 of primary care virtually. Think about it. Their model with embedded behavioral is critical. Most, you know, legacy brick and mortar primary care groups, they don't have that. They don't have the ability to do it, nor do many have the technology to interoperably get that note out to your specialists and to others who are part of your care team or care path or whatever the case might be. Okay, so large employers in the area installed Vera Health. Now, what they've got is really great, robust primary care, and they also have a steerage component to it. You were just talking about how there was bundled payments and RFPs. So now you've got patients going to advanced primary care, and if they need an ologist, they're getting referred to what are quantitatively, because you have that new RAND report, which we'll talk about in a sec, and you also have an all-claims, all-payer claims database. So you know who the high-quality providers are in that area. It's becoming a sort of closed-loop system that the tip of the spear, so to speak, is the advanced primary care, which you've set up here. It's a perfect way to describe it. And think about it, the primary care in the past, especially when primary care is purchased by a hospital, are merely parking attendants. You will go here, you will go here in our system. What this does is to leverage the power of primary care and with primary care attribution uh, to members, they, meaning the member, has someone who owns their risk and can help to steer them appropriately on a care path. There are other aspects of this, particularly for the employer. Again, the employer emerging in this closed system that you described finally gets accountability and predictability. They can put in some really interesting features in their plan design to require e-consults. Think about cancer for a second, where a person, I'm a cancer survivor. When a person is diagnosed with cancer, they are immediately afraid. They're looking for solutions as quickly as possible. The data shows that approximately 73% of people diagnosed with cancer never get a second opinion. And unfortunately, what happens? They end up on the wrong care path. Musculoskeletal, same sort of thing. Instead of the primary care physician throwing 
the person over the fence, so to speak, to an orthopod who may want to cut or what have you. There is a nuanced care path. I can go on and on and on. What what we're trying to do, both for the employer to get rid of practice deviation and cost differentiation and increased quality, is to help the member have the best outcome. And the closed system leveraging the power of the advanced primary care physician on the front end. That's what value-based healthcare is. One thing that, you know, Steve Schutzer created some center, a center of excellence with episodic payments in the state of Connecticut. We had him on the show and he talked at length about what it takes actually to create a center of excellence that can competently accept episodic payments. It was not something you can do on Tuesday. You know, it took years. So the fact that we now have a major employer who is avidly working on a systematic initiative whereby hundreds of thousands of of people in a state are getting steered to provider organizations that have built up these competencies, that sounds like something that providers' ears should perk up because it's not something that you can be really reactive. Like you got to be proactive because if you're a provider, you got to start working on bundling, figuring out how you're going to do that well in advance of that happening in your market. That's absolutely the case. It's really interesting, though. Again, we saw provider groups who stepped up and said, yeah, we're really interested in doing this. And we saw other health systems back away from the table aggressively, either because they didn't want to get out of fee-for-service or didn't want to participate. Curiously, one of the big projects I was able to work on over the course of the last year is to work with one of the state of Connecticut agencies to get all of our all payers claims database data into this last RAND hospital transparency report 3.0. We're slowly starting to see the impact of that. Why? Because a hospital system just a mile away from another one could have a five or 10 or even 15% cost differential um, total cost of care differential in a much lower quality rating for specific service lines. No one had ever really looked at this this closely. So certainly the, the state of Connecticut is now looking at this, this experiment. As you said, the COE is a high bar to achieve. So most of the providers that have come in to this episodic arrangement are in a network of excellence. So it's, you know, it's a continuum, if you will. You have to earn into that COE area and you have to show your data and your outcomes. That's a pretty high bar. So you are absolutely unequivocally correct that there is a fairly significant gulf between providers who have been operating in straight up fee-for-service, fragmented, volume-based, without rails of accountability, and say a COE or that high level of accountability. But this is where this marketplace is going. And I want to be so bold as to say, employers coming out of COVID, what is value for employers coming out of COVID? Accountability and predictability. That is what they crave. So when we have a a COE that warranties that knee replacement, that means that the employer isn't paying for complications and infections as they have in the past. 
That's quality. That predictability is so important to them for their stop loss that they buy for catastrophic risk and things of this nature. It has second order effects. Predictability, accountability are critical elements of this whole value thing. Since the beginning of COVID, some say provider, you know, practice systems, their volumes are down by 40%-ish. So obviously we've got providers being affected here. We have employers doing everything that you have just said that employers are doing, and obviously some large ones. Give me an example of maybe a conversation that you may have had. I know you have lots of conversations, Jeff. I think you had a chat with a big urgent care facility at some point in the area. I I remember you telling me. I was super interested in that conversation because I think it might have been the epiphany moment for them that the status quo tectonic plates just shifted underneath them. So basically, this conversation was pretty simple with the urgent care folks. It was describing the dispatch health model, which is effectively to Uberize emergency care and urgent care. These folks via an app, the employee, the dependent, the member can summon a car to their home occupied by a PA or APRN who can basically do anything that someone in an urgent care facility would do. And they're They're in short order. They take care of business while they're at the house. And I believe that they boast a 96 net promoter score. And my comment was, you know, why would anyone want to go and sit in your urgent care facility when these folks are doing it quicker in a more safe fashion and at a significantly lower cost and with a higher level of satisfaction than any of you do? And that had a pretty dramatic effect on attitudes and thought processes. And we were able to really start to discuss, again, second order effects of this type of business model. Because why? A dispatch gets in your house and does this service and you really like it and you like being treated at home. And one of the most interesting aspects of the dispatch model is that they have full interoperability, meaning they're going to do their note and they're going to get it back to your primary care physician and your apportioned providers. Well, what if you don't have a primary care physician? Well, they will be very, very happy to help you find one and to refer you into the appropriate person who then is leveraged on this tail we just described and has the ability to steer you to agnostic episodes and things of this nature. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. People like and want better access, especially if they haven't had it, and the number of things that a dispatch can do. And there's a couple of companies out there doing similar things. But here we are suddenly creating a health consumer. And I would say fee-for-service providers fear the informed healthcare consumer. The urgent care group that you were talking about, basically, you just sort of described the scenario at hand, which is that you've got large employers that have hundreds of thousands of employees who are likely a good number of this urgent care's market. And those employers just hired a technology solution Well, it's kind of a hybrid solution, but it's a national solution called, you know, Dispatch House. There's others. And if that employer is driving its employees to use Dispatch Health because, you know, high quality, it's this closed loop. They can make sure that their employees get good urgent care, but even more importantly, excellent follow-up care. 
And at that same exact time, they're referring them back to primary care. Now, all of a sudden, we have a situation where, you know, somebody needed stitches, they got the stitches, but at the same time, they got a primary care physician who is now pulling the patient to high quality providers moving forward. Like that urgent care just got locked out. The other big thing with a company like a dispatch, for example, is that they do it for an episodic payment. Here's what you're going to pay. No more, no less. You go to the urgent care facility and it's, oh, we're doing this and we added this and we did this cast and, you know, no, boom, here's your episodic payment and it's done. It's a fraction of what an emergency room visit costs. It's a fraction of what the traditional urgent care visit costs as well. And your experience is better. Yeah. And as you have said, and others have said many times, what employers really want is predictability. <laughs> it's like the variability of, of any one incident, you know, magnified over however many employees and however many incidents can become a problem really quick. So the group that you spoke about, it took them a short period of time to understand the existential threat to them. And basically, they're rethinking the way that they're going to operate in this marketplace and are going to move into these valuable arrangements and uh, are looking at partnering with some of these firms to make their technology better and their access better and things of, of this nature. A provider, you know, a brick and mortar provider realizing that they actually have direct competition from national entities and technology players. Like that just happened for real Perfect. in Connecticut. Perfect. Let's just say, and now we're not talking about any particular provider organization, but theoretically, I'm sure we're talking about somebody here. What somebody could do realizing this suddenly, they could panic. So say I'm a provider organization. I'm like, oh boy, I got to on the quick figure out how to do something that probably should take years, but I want to get this done fast. What have you seen a knee-jerk reaction that might not necessarily, let's just say, be optimal? There are plenty of organizations out there with a lot of money that will gladly come in and offer up that money and take a stake. So for example, we've seen a company that started out in California. They've gone into provider groups, multi-specialty groups, uh, primary care groups, and offer to show them the way. And what is the way? The way to move to risk. But what does that mean to the bottom line for providers? Uh, perhaps it's taking 50% of downside risk as the cost of doing business. So often we'll find provider organizations say, we really need the money, we'll take it. But they haven't necessarily persuaded the providers. They haven't changed the culture about either the necessity of moving to risk-based arrangements or the necessity of taking the investment to do technology investments or any number of things. So it's, I, I would call it kind of a, a purgatory movement. <laughs> you know, what are the sort of negative consequences of potentially not thinking through, not properly vetting maybe your private equity partner? What have you seen? Yeah, a lot of confusion, one, and the loss of really valuable providers who were highly skilled, had high quality, who say, oof, you know, I'm not going to stay, and they get picked off by health systems that will pay for them, um, or they just leave. Alternatively, there's some great examples of provider organizations who really sit down, have seen the writing on the wall, or at a minimum start seeing it right now, and have 
clear-headedly, let's just say, embrace the opportunity. What do those organizations tend to do? Or do you have any examples of, of those who've done it quite well? There's a variety of these organizations. I'll tell you, um, quite a few of these folks have jumped into the state of Connecticut experiment, as I'll call it, and said, we know what our costs are, and we know what we can do. And We want to be part of this, and we're going to do that. I can think of a large primary care physician group that became the facilitator to bring together other non-owned primary care physician groups to help that top tier for steerage. And we've seen some uh, specialty groups, for example, that do women's health. Maternity is a great example of huge variation in cost and quality. I mean, we can see in a vaginal delivery a five to six or $7,000 differential in a routine delivery between hospital systems in huge practice deviation on things like hysterectomy. Why? Because, you know, a certain type of device is being used that creates great complications. So we've seen a number, a tremendous number of these groups really step forward and say, this is an opportunity for us to showcase not only our competencies, but our ability to to manage risk. And it leads to the next part of this whole healthcare ecosystem, which are payers. So we're seeing some of the payers step up and say, yeah, we should probably do something in this whole value-based world. And, and others who say, oh yeah, value, and do a lot of virtue signaling without a lot of concrete things. And they talk about value, it's a buzzword. And then there are still others who are, you know, kind of sitting on their hands and praying it'll all go away. Let's go back to the end of what you were just talking about there relative to the provider organizations. So you have some provider organizations who are thinking, you know, like, huh, I've been trying to put a billboard up on the highway and get a patient kind of like onesie twosie. But the huge opportunity right now, because I can actually prove my outcomes, I can prove my quality, I have great cost basis, I can actually go around to these employers who are actively outreaching, trying to, you know, there's RFPs at this juncture and gain an entire, you know, employee member population sort of in one fell swoop. I can definitely see how from a, if you're trying to grow your patient panels, this is quite a way to do it. Absolutely. So what we've seen, and I, I describe it often as the Enlightenment. Pre-French Revolution France, we had landed baronries and noblesse oblige, and people simply expected people to come to them. Well, that's changed. Many of the brick-and-mortar providers are realizing that they have to up their game, that they have to provide for better accessibility, that they actually have to coordinate care, that they have to be responsible for the care that they give and are looking to certain health tech companies to help create that, to leverage them and their capabilities as well. The big entrenched health systems with billions of dollars in brick and mortar investment are saying, nope, we're just going to keep building urgent care facilities all over the place and hope people will continue to come to them. So it's really a fascinating thing to observe right now. So let's talk about the marketplace as a whole and potentially other stakeholders beyond providers and self-insured employers, because it has been said and shown over and over again, just how powerful entrenched entities are. Like just 
do a search for that topic and you'll get gajillions of examples of some really good idea that got stumped in the mud because some entrenched player was going to lose some revenue if that transpired. Obviously, also in Connecticut, you have a major stronghold of the major health insurers, the Blue Crosses, the United, the Cigna, the Aetna, Humana, you know, they're all in Connecticut. And then you just mentioned these large health systems who are doubling down on their existing business model. Do they then create, you know, between the two of them together, such a barrier or such a bastion of the status quo that these upstart self-insured employers trying to do new things just can't get over that entrenchment? It's a really good question. And, you know, I have to be like Alvin Toffler here, you know, a futurist and uh, predict. I'll tell you. <laughs> you know what Yogi Bear said? <laughs> Predictions are really difficult, especially when they're in the future. <laughs> I, it's perfect. It's perfect. I'll try and do this based upon the anecdotal things that I've seen over the last six months. And certainly we're in a really strange time and people, especially employers that are are trying to come out seem much more desperate. I go back to, you know, Elizabeth Mitchell's comments that things that they haven't done before they're willing to do now. And things are happening to people that haven't happened to them before. So my prediction, and we're already starting to see this, is that things will change because a lot of these new expectations can't be solved by the legacy systems. My impression is that the genie is out of the bottle and people not only want convenience, but they want safety, they want data. And that's something that we haven't had in the past. This whole healthcare consumer thing has finally gone woke because of COVID. That's my prediction. Will the entrenched players continue to do the things that they have done and make small moves around it? Yeah, I think so. But I, I think that there is enough health technology and really good companies who are showing 96 net promoter scores for satisfaction that are going to eat the lunch of these legacy systems. I mean, 16 years ago, Professor Porter and Elizabeth Teisberg wrote Redefining Healthcare. And, you know, in that book, among a lot of other things, they basically said sectors of the economy, particularly the healthcare sector in this country that doesn't have competition are ripe for disruption. And I think we've we've reached that spot. We are at an inflection point or a tipping point or whatever you want to call it. After 35 years in the business, I really finally feel like we've broken through. And you actually see some of the BUCA plans, like they're they're kind of coming along and looking at what you are doing and potentially making changes of their own. Like they're realizing that FFS payment models all the time may not be something you want to bank on. Yes, that's a, a really good question. I'll answer it a couple of different ways. There are a few that are taking leadership in this space and say, hey, this is the way the marketplace is going and we need to embrace it and we need to be part of it. And others are kind of like, eh, you know, we'll throw in a, a episode here and that's a value thing. And I will tell you that, you know, a couple of the big ones are really spending time and energy on this I think they're going to be slow to get into this marketplace for a couple of different reasons, and it goes back to culture. Think about distribution. The culture of legacy bukas is 
to sell the things that they've been selling for a long time. And in fact, brokers and consultants, especially with all the M&A that we've seen in brokerage and consulting, really like fee-for-service too. Their compensation goes up every year and the bonuses get bigger. And So this requires people to really think. It requires employers to actually know what their biggest problems are. That may sound slightly ironic or disingenuous, but I would venture a guess that many, if not most employers, don't know that their three biggest programmatic spend categories in the plan are cancer, cardiometabolic, and MSK. And curiously, a subset of that, everyone spends their time on PBM pharmacy. I'll tell you that you know we've spent much of our time or most of our time in the last three years talking about med pharmacy specialty, where infusion at one of the big hospitals in Connecticut for a year could cost $200,000 or $220,000, where the chemo was bought and marked up five to 700% in a $50,000 facility charge added to it. There are just so many ways to show pathways to value in a simple fashion, that closed system, nuanced, nuanced pathways of care for each of these areas that will give employers what they need, which is that predictability. And and by the way, for the multiplicity of employers that self-fund their medical plans and could be through the BUCAs or others, the biggest concern of CFOs typically in their plan from year to year is what they pay for their catastrophic stop-loss coverage. Think about it. If we give employers targeted price warranties for their biggest programmatic spend categories, they get that predictability. They get rid of much of the volatility and some of the asymmetric aspect of the risk in their plans. Jeff, is there anything I neglected to ask you that you want to wrap up with? So I do have some concerns with what's happening with health tech on the potential for further fragmentation. Livongo has a really cool marketing thing for diabetics and, you know, they do a great, they have great interfaces and things like this, but I don't want to get away from the importance of care coordination, interoperability, longitudinal care coordination. We can't go back to the fragmentation of fee-for-service. So it might be a good, better, best scenario, you know, like a Lavongo might be better than no care at all or really fragmented care where the patient isn't getting, you know, any help to control their diabetes. But it's certainly not as good as a solution which has an integrated care model. It sounds like what you're saying. I think it's hard to say at this point because we haven't seen the data. I haven't seen the data come out of there. Perhaps that's a really great place to finish on. Data is critical. And the next part of this value-based healthcare is the coordination of data. And, you know, we're seeing some really cool blockchain stuff on evaluating providers and their competencies and their quality. And data is going to be king to evaluate proof of concept for any of the things that we've discussed in, in the talk today. Jeff, if someone is interested in learning more about the work that you have done, which is expansive, and I know you are in many forums all over the place, but where would you direct them to learn more? They can contact me at uh, jhogan at rogersbenefit.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn is a good way as well. 
Jeff Hogan, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.